Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, curious people, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Ramble. My guest today is Jana Primus. We share a last name. We share a house. We share kids (laughs) (laughs) because she is my wife. And uh, the reason that Jana is my guest today is because we had actually considered starting this podcast together. And then we decided that would not be a good idea, but that we wanted to do many podcasts together and we can get into that later. And uh, the reason we're not sitting in the same room is because we don't have two of these mics. So she's just in in the other room, but we're not uh, distancing from each other or anything like that. (laughs) So on this show, I wanted to talk about a very wide uh, range of, of topics and of that includes things like birth and anything really on the home front. So kids, sex, parenting, you know, work-life, family balance, all of that stuff. And that's the part that Jan and I are going to do together. And so it's just coming to me now. I don't know how you, what you think about this, but we should call that section the home or like at, on the home front episode or something like that. So that it's like when they see that, they know it's you and I going deep into our our personal lives on the home front. What do you think? I like it. I think, you know, either you're going to be super interested into what we're talking about or avoid it completely. So, right. I know. I I mean, the, the reason that that's intriguing to me is because if you're a parent or if you want to be a parent, you know, it's fucking hard. And, and you know, you screw it up all the time. And that also includes being a lover and a partner and trying to build a life together. And so I'm always grateful for one, when I know how shitty other people feel about their job and how they're doing with it, not the job of being a parent, their job, how shitty they feel about their ability to be a parent or a partner. And so it's always a bit of, you know, it's consoling in a way, uh, and on the other side, it's nice to know what people are trying, how they're making it work as best they can, figuring it out. And so that's why we want to share our little slice of how we go about raising kids in this world with you. But this episode's a little bit different, and it's a pretty spicy topic to kick things off with. No, maybe not. Maybe spicy is not the it's right because I'm spicy right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. I would say that this is the first ever podcast where someone is trying to induce labor on the podcast. <laughs> That's <fair. laughs> right. So you're due to have a baby. You were due four, five days ago now, right? Yes. And things were getting a little squirrely in the house. So I said, why don't we just record a podcast and maybe it'll distract you. <laughs> maybe if it distracts you, you go into labor. Not that we're expecting that. The other tidbit of information is that on the first of every month, we have what's called a lifetime dinner date. So it's the first of every single month, mostly without exception. Um, We forgot yesterday. We forgot yesterday. Today's the second. But Uh, I've been distracted. (laughs) 
and I've shared your, uh, your pregnancy brain at times this last couple of weeks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so tonight we're doing the lifetime dinner date on camera. What is that? Do you want to let them know what it is? So uh, one of our principal beliefs as a couple is that you should continue to date each other. And as the pandemic hit and our date locations were limited and childcare became even more limited, we, uh, we decided to do it at home. So we send the kids to bed without any bread. And no, I'm kidding. We make them dinner ahead of time and then we have dinner together later. And um, we ask each other a series of questions. When we get off topic, sometimes we pull back to the same questions. Sometimes it feels like we know them so well, so we can avoid some and include others. So usually we're eating dinner New York style, as we say, very late, 9.30. <laughs> and we, we just talk. We talk about how our month was, highs and lows of it, what we would have done differently, what we're looking forward to in the next month. And it, it's a good touch point, especially if you don't have that a lot throughout the month together. Yeah. And it's, it's not, I mean, sometimes it's romantic, but yeah. really the idea first is this check-in that we have with each other. And it's not the only time we check in with each other, but it's, it's a scheduled check-in that's, that's in the form of a date. Hence my yeah. beer <laughs> that I'm drinking. <laughs> Your my field house, my field house, pale ale lager, which is a local brewer here uh, in the Fraser Valley. Know. It's just, throat coat? I don't even know what it is. Some like immune defense tea. Oh, the leafy one. Yeah. 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 Loose leaf tea. I wanted to take, like putting aside the fact that you're my wife and I love you very deeply. I'm also fascinated by you and you have so much to share. So if I take off the husband hat for a second and put on the interviewer hat, there's so much I want to unpack that's in your brain. And see, I mean, when we had our, our, our eldest daughter, Quinn, just turned 10 years old. And so our birth journey with Quinn or our, our multiple birth journeys, Quinn being the first, our second daughter, Roman being the next, and currently on the third, have really been cornerstone to our relationship and our development as individuals and our development as a couple. And so much of what we have grown through comes back to these three moments. And I think that it's for many not looked at that way, the birthing experience as a, as a personal growing experience and as, a, as an experience where you can grow as a couple. Mm -hmm. And so I, the, the first thing that kind of comes into my mind is first and foremost, before we lose anybody, uh, specifically the men are like, well, why the fuck do I need to li listen to anything about birth <laughs> is from your perspective, why should men stay tuned as you know, you unleash about this world in a way maybe they've never heard about before? That's a very interesting question. I've, I've been reading this book lately called Childbirth as a Rite of Passage. And if I were to try and grasp the attention of men who might want families one day or those who already have families, it's that we've, we've forgotten our rites of passage. And a lot of them, um, for men and women separately and together, have become uh, commercialized only. And we forget that there's humanness in all of it. 
And when so, you say just just to back up, when you say rite of passage, you mean I mean like if we're talking about like men specifically becoming a man. Right. So, and I'm not just talking about puberty. Like there's an essence that happens between the ages of 10 and let's say 15, where um, not only are changes happening physically for most boys, but celebrating the fact that you have been in one stage of your life and you're transitioning into another stage of your life is not really talked about or mm. it's skewed in a way in our society that's not viewed as integral and important and needing of guidance in a way. And so birth is a rite of passage. And anytime that you're transitioning from one thing to another, whether it's like a job to a new job, or you're moving, so you're going from like one house to another, or you're single and you're getting married, or you're somebody who's having a baby for the first time. Those are all like huge transitional moments that we don't stop to think about and stop to really see that we are no longer going to be the person that we were before. And there's a huge process in that of grief and letting go and understanding and being open. And birth is just another one of those in different aspects. Mm -hmm. For the mother, the father, and the baby oh, that's being born. Everybody. What you're saying. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And it's not, it, it's not any more important than any other transition in life, but it is maybe the most obviously dramatic for obvious reasons, right? Mm -hmm. There's a physical mm -hmm. component. There's, there's an unknown component. You know, when you turn from transition from 12 to 13 and all of a sudden you're a teenager or 19 to 20 and now you're an adult, it's a little less subtle <laughs> or it's a little, excuse me, it's a little more subtle than, you know, if you've yeah. ever been in a delivery room or had a baby or, or been around that, right? So I hear you on that. And going back to the question, why is it that that is so important and people should pay attention to what we're talking about here? I mean, that's, it's, it's so deep, honestly, yeah. it's so deep because it's not even just like your first child. If you have one child that the transition happens, the transition happens every single time you have a child because you're no longer, you know, I mean, maybe the first time, like it is a huge shock because you're becoming a parent for the first time. And then the second one, it's, you're no longer a parent of one. Now you're a parent of two and it expands differently. You know more, you know what to expect a little differently. Like all those transitions are huge each and every time. And every person involved has a transformation that they go through. Sorry, my baby brain forgot that question a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. So what was your transition? The first uh, like one. The first time? Yeah. The first time? Um, well, I think like you said, um, a little bit is that was our first, our very first time transitioning from single people to parent people. And it was shocking because I mean, <laughs> it's so deep, honestly, like our society is not set up to really support it in the way that it could be supported. And nobody, birth is not out in the open. It's getting there, but birth and death are two things that are kind of closed behind doors. And we fear them in a way. We fear the unknown. We fear the unpredictability between them. And there are transitional times in our lives where honestly, the more people we have in our life who know what transition is like, who know how to nurture and care for people going through those stages of life, the better it is. Because when you're supported, then you don't have to really figure it out 
for the first time by yourself without somebody who has that wise understanding of what it's like to go through that, like a guide, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like boys need men in their lives as guides to help them transition through different life stages, the same way that girls do, the same way that like weddings and marriages it's so concentrated on the day and not really on the transition of what it means to, to decide to be with a person in yeah. your life. And, and when you say, when you say the society doesn't have the support in place for things like birth, somebody listening might say, what, what are, you, are you talking about? There's hospitals, there's uh, OBs, there are midwives, there are doulas, which what you are, how is that not support? So can you unpack what you mean when you say there's no, there's, there's not enough support? Maybe that's a fair way of phrasing it. There's not enough support for the transition process that you're talking about with birth. Yeah, I am a doula and I am in the birth world, <laughs> but transitionally, <laughs> uh, what I mean by that is just that it's, if we're talking about hospitals, for example, I absolutely believe there's a need for hospitals. Absolutely. Do I believe every birth should happen in a hospital? No. I think that there's a long history. It's very interesting if you want to know what it's about, but how we got to birthing in the hospital. Sure. Um, well, there's many things. It was fashionable at one point. Royalty was doing it. So people wanted to be like royalty and birth so before, in a hospital with attendants. Before they were doing the births at home. And then it was fashionable because royalty was doing it to have a birth in a hospital. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, it's there's it's so I'm hot. Oh my gosh, I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, realistically, the reason why women are pictured in movies as birthing on their back in a hospital is because there was a king who wanted to watch his babies being born, and the best way for him to do it was if a woman was lying on her back. He couldn't watch. Couldn't watch the other way around. Couldn't watch the other way. She around. couldn't. She couldn't turn around, and he could just watch from behind. He's <laughs> men. Men at a. There was a time when men were weren't allowed in the birthing room, and that actually wasn't too long ago that that became that changed. <laughs> it was like the 1970s that people started fighting for it. So women in movies birth on their back because that's how it was portrayed in royalty. Was that. Women were placed on their back so that somebody could observe them. It was easier for the attendants to see what was going on. And it was moved to the hospital because it was a wealth status. Mm -hmm. So the queen birthed in the hospital. Other women wanted to birth in the hospital. If you had a doctor attend your birth at home, it was because you had money. And poor people didn't have doctors attend their birth at home. So it was an acquired taste. It showed your status to be able to have somebody attend your birth at home, even if they weren't even doing anything. They were just paid to be there. And, and I mean, like, then you can go into like problems in birth and things that happen and when birth attendants are needed. And there's definitely times when they are. There are babies and women who are saved by OBs and surgery, for sure. But most of the time, it's not needed. And most of the time, intervention often leads to more intervention and... That's like a part of, it's a huge chapter of birth that women have not, women have forgotten mm. and our culture is forgotten. And part of that is because we don't watch women give birth. Usually the first time you see a baby being born is out of your own body. <laughs> right. And men feel the same way or partners feel the same way because that's the way that the mother feels giving okay. birth. They're, and so they, by yeah. default, 
are sort of beholden to all the the fears and or just not wanting to question it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so they just go along. They, they're like on the ride. But where this dovetails back to our story and your story is that our first child, Quinn, was, what's the exact term? A medically, uh, it's not a C-section, but it's a medical birth through via episiotomy and vacuum and on all these different. Yeah. It was essentially a surgical birth without it actually being a C-section. Right. It wasn't entirely surgical. Yeah. And in that experience, long time at the hospital, a lot of fear, a lot of fear for me in the, uh, in just not knowing what to expect and just watching it like a deer in the headlights being like, holy shit, what's going on. And then for yourself, you know, you're taking the laughing gas and different uh, pain medication, morphine, et cetera, which is almost removing you from your own body and your own mind-body connection in, in the birth. And so you're unable to engage with it on, on the level that you need to. And so we have this birth, 19 hours? I can't remember, 19 hours with Quinn? Longer because like overall, it was longer. Overall, right. And you know when they're done, they take away our daughter who's just had, and if you can imagine coming into this world in between two metal forceps, like a fork being pulled out, she's got a laceration over her eye, vacuum on her head. So she's got a bruise on the top of her head. And it was traumatic. Totally. Yeah. Completely traumatic. Right. And then she's taken away from us and put right into the NICU. Now that's not to take anything away from the doctors doing their job to, and the nurses doing their job to make sure that she's safe. But this is our first experience. And at the end of it, when, you know, when you're getting sewn up from the episiotomy, the doctor pretty much tells you, you'll never have a vaginal birth, a natural birth again, vaginal yeah. through the vagina versus C-section, which is cutting open your abdominal muscle. And- yeah. And there's, there's so many things like in what you just said that completely impact, completely impacted you and I as people yeah. going into parenting for the first time. Which is what- yeah. I'm driving at here. So yeah. why don't you dive in on that? I also wanted to say too, that it's not just like women who don't see women giving birth that affects how they give birth being sometimes, most of the time, the first time they give birth is the first time they've seen a birth, but, but it's men too. Like, have you ever had a guy friend or a father figure of any kind, like walk you through how to be present in birth, how to be a helpful partner? before, during, throughout, like you are an exceptionally in tune person. So being present in that moment where you're needed is easy for you. But there's so many partners that I witness in birthing rooms that are just like, I have no idea what I'm doing here or why I'm here. Someone please give me something to do. I want to be helpful, but I don't, I don't know. How. Yeah. Like it's not mirrored at all. Well, no, it's certainly, certainly not a conversation I've ever had. It wasn't one I'd ever had pre our first daughter being born. Yeah. And it's not one that's ever happened since. Actually, that's not true. Before Roman was born, to some extent, you know, we had some support on this idea of a home birth. But that's the, the point you're making is it's not that. It's 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 coming back to this idea of what we can learn through the birthing experience. So if and how it affects us going into becoming parents of that child and of all our children. So why don't you talk about after that experience, you know, how you felt mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and what inspired you then to make the shift for 
the second birth and where that led you and us on a very different path than the first one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first experience as I'm still in shock, literally like my body was in shock. I was told that I couldn't ever do that again, that I would need to just succumb to a C-section. So that's me in trauma being told that my body had failed, that I would never or should never be allowed to try again. And I didn't even have my baby with me. And you were with, with our baby because that was important to us was for you to be with her. And so we're separated. So we're not talking about what just happened. And yeah, the, this person who's growing inside of me for 40 weeks is all of a sudden taken away. So doesn't have any of the basic needs that they've have not been able to work for before eating, receiving oxygen, being comforted, being carried and being left alone in a box. What so, does that do? I mean, it traumatizes the brain of the child. Yes. And yeah. all parties involved because touches healing, being with your home is important in order for survival. It's just going against everything that your instinctual needs tell you that you need to have in order to survive. So there's a survival aspect of it that is also being affected. And then you and I, like not being able to talk in that time, like we don't, we have no idea what's going on. Yeah. There's people rushing past us. We have no idea. I've just been told that I failed. And then I'm also healing physically, plus emotionally, plus mentally. And then there's your ass side of it as well. I mean, what, what was going through your mind in those moments? Were you thinking about anything about yourself? Were you more concerned about what was happening to me and our daughter? Like, what, what do you think of yourself in that moment? I'm not trying to say that from the side of selfishness. I'm trying to say, like, were you even aware of how it was impacting you? No, uh, because it was what I thought was normal. And, and so I thought that birth was a traumatic experience. I was in, I was walking to go take a piss. I don't know what I was doing in the middle of the labor. And I accidentally stumbled across another woman giving, giving birth. So technically I have seen, had seen someone give birth prior to and she's screaming at the top of her lungs, which is, you know, is part of the process. But when you don't understand the purpose of the screaming, uh, w which I do want you to get into, but the, the nurse that was there just said to me, yeah, it gets really intense in there. So I was like bracing myself for <laughs> what would be an intense experience. And this the, the point that you were making when a doctor says to you, you're never going to give birth vaginally again. And then that's it. You don't talk to that doctor again. That doctor is gone. Those nurses are, are gone and they have a tough job. They have a very tough job. They're giving advice and some level of support and obviously care to numerous, numerous people, you know, for 10, 12 hour shift, however many days a week. It's it's I don't envy the position and I admire what they can do. But to to leave somebody with that advice, just think of I, I just think back to like the times in in your life when somebody told you, somebody made fun of you on the playground, not you, anyone. Somebody, a teacher told you you weren't good enough. Some of us have the is a constitution or the makeup in our mind to just say, fuck it. I don't care what that person thinks. I got my, you know, I know what I am, who I am, what I can do and other people that lives with them forever. And then they are stuck no different than anything that they're going to do in their life. Whether that's, they want to make a movie, they want to make an Olympic final, they want to write a book, whatever it is that they want to do in their life, they're, they're stuck because somebody told them they couldn't do it. And it's mm -hmm. the same. And so they live their life with the belief that they can't do it. It's the same thing 
with mm-hmm. birth. And it's the same, and it happens to both people. And this is this is where the story shifts to this can be a level of of growth because and and this is a level of growth for the couple because when the couple makes a decision to say that we're going to attempt a home birth or we're going to attempt a free birth or we're going to attempt a vaginal birth no matter what a doctor told us uh, based on a previous birth or your first birth right it's just baby's too big sorry you can't do it we're doing a c-section is it brings if you are making the decisions for your body and your birth and what you two want as a couple you are bringing that power back to yourselves and each other and when you do that you empower each other for whatever it is that you're going to do next in life, all of a sudden the whole thing shifts and what you didn't think was possible is now possible. But that brings me back to before we go to our next child is the idea that you're not allowed to do it and accepting that it's not even possible. You're just not allowed. Like not only the doctor said you can't do it, you're just not allowed to do these things, which is not true, right? Mm -hmm. You are allowed to do what you want to do in the room, <laughs> correct? I'm asking the question. Oh, yeah. It's your body. You're yeah. to do what you want. Yeah. There was something else that you were saying that actually just made me think when, when you have a new experience like birth or you write a book for the first time or you run a marathon for the first time, you develop neural pathways that are different in your mind. And whoever is around your environment when those neural pathways are connecting and whatever is said to you in those moments, they implant in your experience. And depending on where your mindset is at, you can, like you said, shift them away or, and like reestablish what you want to be in your experience. And depending on trauma and what is happening around you, sometimes you're greatly impacted. Like you had said, as a kid being told you can't do something or you're trying something for the first time and it doesn't work out. And so whenever you embark on a journey of healing, you're, you have to rewrite that for yourself and for your, I mean, we had to rewrite that for ourselves because basically our birth experience rocked our parenting experience. And I don't think any of us went into it believing that we were capable because of what we had been told. Mm-hmm. So what happened for you and, um, and, what, and what can happen for women prefacing that? prefacing that with this, uh, making sure that people who are listening understand that you can have birth any way you want. If you want to have a C-section and that's what you want, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not at all what we're talking about. And, you know, we're going to talk about. Absolutely. I always tell that to people that I work with. I say, wherever you feel safest to birth is the place you need to be. Mm -hmm. So if that is in your home, surrounded by people you love, that's where you need to be. If it's in a hospital where you feel safe, You know that you have hands-on when you need it or pain relief when you want it. That's where you need to be. Mm -hmm. But leaving that where it is, where can you take it? Where can you take it? I mean, like the concept (laughs) of orgasmic birth. Yeah. And I've literally just heard you talking about it. I don't totally Yeah, you've said like a lot of phrases (laughs) that people are probably like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Well, you got to, you got to, you got to unpack them all for for me. And, and then when I say, where can you take it? I mean, where can you take it as a, as the person giving birth and that journey as of self-empowerment and connection with your body and connection with, I mean, God even, right. So 
Yeah, well, you could take it anywhere you want to go. <laughs> so leading into our second experience, I always wanted to be a mom. I was one of those people who knew I wanted kids my whole life. And my first experience was shocking when I was basically told that I couldn't. And so I did go through post-traumatic stress and I did go through depression and I did go through anxiety and everything because my experience, even though I thought going in that I was going to be okay and I was going to be fine and I could do it and I wanted it, I had trauma and little whispers of voices that told me it was not good. And so parenting, I thought if I ever want to have another one, I'm just going to have to come to terms with having a C-section. So when I felt the calling of another little person, which I do feel, uh, I thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to be okay with having a C-section. And then Joel and I ended up moving to a different country right as we found out we were pregnant. And that changed everything for me only because it forced me to dig deeper into what birth was, what it had become. And so I started asking questions and really like, I wasn't taught to ask questions before my first birth experience, our first birth experience, just accepted things as they were, you know, like that's what our parents did. They didn't ask questions. They didn't know that they had rights. They just went along with policy. And so with our second one, I started seeing an OB to begin with because I had midwives before who didn't show up with our first, which was another section of that. I hate, I didn't, the care wasn't what I wanted. I wanted the midwife care. So I hired myself a doula for the first time. And she just started to like, get me curious. Like she just started to like pass a book there. <laughs> Why don't you read this? See what you think. Why don't you, uh, what's your question on this? And it was really like when I was meeting with an OB before I switched to a midwife and the OB's like, so how do you plan to handle pain in your birth? And I didn't tell her that they had told me I could only have C-sections. And I said, well, I'll just use laughing gas. And that's what I did before. And she's like, oh, we don't offer that in America. <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess I should ask more questions. So I started asking more questions and I switched care to a midwife. And then when it was almost full term, like we were probably like 34 weeks, I had read enough and learned enough and immersed myself enough, rewriting pathways in my brain, realized I could totally have another baby vaginally and I didn't need all the interventions that I had and really like where the cascading events started and where they led me. I, I decided that I wanted to have a home birth and I talked to you about it and you were like, if you trust you, I trust you. <laughs> and then we did it. I was, I was still scared, by the way. I like, <laughs> was very it, supportive. <laughs> but that's, but that's, you know, that's the trust that we have to take into everything we do in life. Yeah. There is this ridiculous illusion that they got it under control at anything or mm -hmm. anything to do with the body. Right. When really it's, it's, a, it's, a, there's a lot of it that's out of our hands and a lot of it that's in our own hands. It's in completely individual. Like yeah. everybody's experience is individual and you, you have like similar experiences that you can relate to with illness, with birth, with injury, but it's completely individual. But is that the step with the partner at that time when the, when the mother decides that she wants to have a home birth or not? Is, is it okay for the partner to then weigh in and say, I don't think you should do that. Or yeah, here's my, or have my opinion on this. Like when it's not mm. their body giving birth, it's. Yeah. I mean, yes, it happens. Definitely happens all the time. 
there's a lot of people who feel differently about the birth experience. And, and there's a lot of worry because we are raised in a culture that teaches you to fear it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't teach you to trust your intuition at any point in the process. It's the more control that we can have, the more we can control the outcome, the more we can guarantee survival. That's really like the big fear word is life and death. The chances of your baby dying in birth are very, 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 very slim. Again, mm-hmm. it happens, but it's very, very slim. And I think like what happened with you and I too, is we had people around us who had had home births. And so when you hear that word talked about, then you think, okay, well, this happens. So it's, it must, there must be some degree of safety to it. <laughs> and then when you ask a question or someone says, oh yeah, we had a home birth and it was great. Or, oh no, it was terrible. Don't do it. Like you, you take little tidbits of information and you rest them inside your mind and you really figure out like, where does this sit to me? Where do I need to ask more questions? Where do I not have enough information? So it's, it's always, I think, I hope when people are deciding whether they want a birth in a hospital or a birth center at home or free birth, which is where you have no attendant, that you are both exploring the answers within yourself and that that's where the communication comes from. Because yes, it's happening to a woman's body, but the experience as a family can be absolutely beautiful when everybody is involved and everybody's on the same page. You're saying that the the male or uh, the, the partner... partner. The partner should should weigh in their concerns, but then it becomes first a discovery of what those concerns are and finding For answers. Sure. Find, finding answers. Well, yeah. And then think ultimately, about, trusting. Think about think about like when you're making decision as a couple about anything. You're buying a house. Like you're not just going to say your concerns and then have no further input. That would be irresponsible, mm-hmm. right? And the people who do that, the other partner is usually very frustrated if there's just a bunch of concerns flying at them and no like resolution or conflict, yeah, conflict resolution or like trying to figure out a solution of some kind. So I think that families feel more connected as families when they do that together. And not everybody agrees. And sometimes there is compromise. Like in, in America, they have hospitals, birthings, and birthing centers. And birthing centers are really cool because they're like a mix of home and hospital together without feeling like a hospital, but also feeling maybe safer for one partner than a home. And there's things like that throughout everywhere. But sometimes you just got to trust your partner too. Like that is a portion of it Mm -hmm. and be open to conversation. I mean, ultimately it does come down to the person giving birth, because in a situation where we wanted something totally different, mm. I wanted a full medical birth and you didn't, you wanted a, you wanted to birth that baby in a fucking field, mm-hmm. right. With like burning sage and Palisantos wood and, you know, all releasing that. of the butterflies, <laughs> releasing of the butterflies <laughs> and all that good stuff. If we don't agree all the way to the finish line, the default goes to you, Right. Is that how you advise couples when they're... What what usually ends up happening is if they're in that much disagreement and they can't compromise on something, then the birthing person takes on the role entirely themselves. So the opportunity that's missed there is that there's a really big opportunity for growth as a family and support to happen. Whereas the birthing person may feel supported by other people 
So maybe it's a midwife, maybe it's a doula, maybe it's a mother-in-law, maybe it's whoever instead of the partner. Mm -hmm. But it's only tricky to that point because it is still their body and you still know your body better than anybody. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so we, we go and and we have this baby in a bathroom in our tiny apartment above a, well, what later became a pizza parlor, you know, (laughs) and come, I don't know, one hour later, you know, the baby's lying on your chest, feeding in the bed. And it's, it was almost surreal to think of the difference for me as the observer who hadn't just been through it from the first go to the second Mm -hmm. medical fear, drugs to none of that walks. We walked twice during labor, you know, two long walks during labor. Um, uh, My mom was there and just this peace and calm. And that was when I started to ask myself, like, what did Quinn's birth mean to Quinn, our first daughter? Like, did that have an effect on her? And going back to a point you made, did that have an effect on you? Because up until that moment, I hadn't really, I had, I don't want to say blame isn't the right word, but when you were going through postpartum depression, which many women do after birth, which you can explain why, this is where the couple piece becomes front and center in the equation, right? When there's postpartum depression, when there's feelings of I didn't do enough or I didn't have a choice, my choice is taken away from me. We know somebody recently who gave birth who was something like six or seven centimeters dilated and they decided, you know, go everything's going fine. And then they decide to do a, a C-section and that was really hard on her. And she blamed her partner for not standing up for her in that situation. So then we come home and we're, we're in this new world with a baby and each other and not a fucking clue what to do. You know, maybe there's a grandma there or a grandpa or some sort of family system of support. Maybe you're lucky enough to afford a nanny, maybe not. But the point is when those, those traumas start to rear their head, that's when the strain happens on the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's, that comes from not knowing that comes from, you know, where it's like, why don't you just get your shit together? Like, that's how I would feel. It's like, how come you can't make this baby stop crying? How come you can't feel more energized? I don't know. Maybe I just had my vagina cut open and, you know, was pumped up with drugs and IV for two days. How would you feel that happened to you? Right? Like, and, and this is part of the difference whether it's a, it's a good, it's a, I shouldn't say good, whether it's an easy birth at home, an easy birth at the hospital or not, where the experience becomes transformational, transformational to the couple. That's what I'm saying. And that's what I noticed after the second one is I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't been that for you mm-hmm. and, or I hadn't been that for Qu- Quinn. Mm-hmm. And so that's when we talk about the journey of transition. I actually, at that time, had to go back. It didn't happen right away. You know that. But that was for me. What about for you? And I can get into that, you know, what I did later. But Mm -hmm. what about for you in that moment after Roman is born and this experience has just been night and day different? And you did it on your own. You, in the sense that you made the choice against multiple doctors' advice which I'm not saying to do, by the way, I'm not saying don't listen to your doctor, but I'm saying also listen to yourself. How did you feel? Well, 
there's this, I think I've shared it with you, actually. There's this acronym that I use when we're teaching about birth and the acronym is BRAIN. And whenever you're making a big decision, you pull out your brain and B stands for benefits. So what are the benefits of making this decision? R stands for risks. What are the risks? A stands for alternatives. What if we did something different? What would it change? I is what does my intuition say? And that one I would say is like one of the most important because your first intuition is often right. And then N stands for nothing. What if we do nothing? What happens? Um, And this can be applied to all kinds of life skills, (laughs) but in birth specifically, my, and and this, this happens so often, I think with, with couples and families is the, the person who is pregnant, their transition is actually beginning the moment they get pregnant. And sometimes before, like if you have conscious conception, so you're, you're planning and preparing and preparing your body and getting your mind ready, your transition is already happening. Your journey, your medicine journey is already happening before you even have the baby. And often the partner who's not pregnant has their transition after birth. And so all the work of healing that I had to rewire in my brain, change my perception on, make myself trust myself more, Everything that I did was happening through the birth to lead to the birth so that when I got to that point, my, my fears were worked on, my, my thoughts were rewired. I had different understandings of birth, different trust in my body. My intuition was on fire. I, I knew that the choices I was making and the team that we created and our relationship, all of that was in different balance for me. And so by the time the baby was born it was just validation for everything that I had already learned. Like mm. It was like, yes, I knew this. I knew that this was possible and I knew that I could do it. And so I, I still grieve my first birth because I felt like a lot was taken from us. Mm. And I, I'm still healing that in different ways, as you know. Mm-hmm. And so I am really grateful that I was able to see a physical change because that's easy to understand for people. Like our my father-in-law who was not present for the birth, but he was staying with us at the time. He's a medical responder. And so he's seen a lot of shit go down with like unexpected birthing and whatnot, accidents. And he was very nervous. And I remember asking him to leave our space when I was in labor. And then when he came back, he just became like an advocate for home birth. He's like, it's amazing. <laughs> Look at you go. Look at the baby. Look at you guys. You get to stay home. And he was actually there for the first one too. So even his just like physical realization of the difference between both experiences, not even knowing like what we had gone through really, but just being mm-hmm. able to see like, this is what happens when trauma is in it. This is what happens when trauma is not he was like, wow, that's a difference. Mm -hmm. And some of that trauma is a byproduct of just, I think the environment, right? When you're in an unfamiliar medical environment, there is a feeling of safety. I know when I've been really sick at times in my life and I've gone to a hospital, you kind of feel like, oh shit, they got me. Like Hmm. I ain't going to die here. (laughs) But on the flip side, you know, our home is where we feel our, hopefully our Best sanctuary of comfort and healing and at easeness. Uh, and to be able to have the birth at home 
just brings all those things into it. There's not seven different nurses you don't know. You know, somebody's off shift. Now the person you just bonded with is, you know, like, um, is gone and, you know, and, and you got to reacquaint with this person. And, and again, that's not to say that any of them aren't exceptional at their jobs. They do. No, absolutely. But there's just this environmental shift when it comes to, to, to birthing at home that just adds, if you can get there on the, there's no doctor here, part of it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then it's incredibly no relaxing. You don't have to be ejected from a hospital because they need the bed, you know, or you can't yeah. afford the bed in some cases. Right. And you, yeah. and you just, you are at ease with this new person that's come into the world and, and they feel that as well. The child. Right? Yeah. And, and primarily birth is not a medical event. It's an instinctual process. It's like breathing and pooping and peeing. You feel it, you follow the feelings in your body and it happens. It can become a medical event. And there are definitely situations where I would be 100% grateful to have medical team to help support a situation that was medical. Yeah. And I think like in most of our human processes, we forget that we're not just a physical being who's like immortal and can withstand anything and take whatever drug we want so that we can continue to withstand anything. Like we're, we're also emotional. We're also spiritual. We're also mental. We have all these different aspects of being that birth is a huge reminder of because it's one of the last instinctual processes that we have access to left and we don't honor it as such. Well, when you turn it into a, to some extent, a sickness, you, Wait, that's, that, yeah. right. So when you say yeah. medicalized or medical yeah. event, what you're effectively <laughs> saying is like, it's like you caught birth. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Well, it's they actually like, do say that. They like, it's like when you're pregnant and if you go in to be tested to see if you're positive or negative, diagnosis, pregnant. Yeah. Diagnosis, <laughs> like, pregnant. Right. <laughs> I, again, I always thought that was just normal. And that it was a bit of a I guess sickness and maybe isn't the right word, but most people, not, I shouldn't say most people, many people do look at their pregnancy uh, experience journey from start to finish, especially the labor component as in some ways an inconvenience, like a cold or a flu might be an inconvenience, like, you know, the weight gain or like the morning sickness, which probably sucks. I can't speak from experience only (laughs) watching you, but, and they just want to get to the part where the baby's out. Yeah. Totally. But what is lost in that? So much. (laughs) You got to elaborate on so much. (laughs) So, 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 so much. Well, I'm, I'm of the mind too, which is maybe why my first experience was so shocking is I don't usually take anything if I can help it. Right. Like if I have a headache, I'm going to try everything in the book to try and let my body fight through that by supporting it before I even take a Tylenol. So I visualized birth being the same, that I was going to tolerate it or take it as much as I could. And then if I felt I needed help, I could ask for it. And so when I say so, so much, I am like going back into these emotional, spiritual, mental, physical aspects of birth that are finely attuned. And I mean, we're not taught growing up. I know I wasn't taught 
And I, I know you weren't taught to follow your intuition on things. We were taught to look to the people that we wanted to be like, or we respected and follow their lead without ever asking ourselves or our bodies what we really wanted. And that is how we ruled. Well, it's how I ruled my entire life until I realized I had another choice. So even like when you say illness, like you were talking about having a cold and I was reminded of blood, menstrual blood. Having your period was only seen as an inconvenience when I was growing up. My mom hated it. Her mom, I'm sure, hated it. Didn't talk about it. It was taboo. You, you know, you whisper about it if you didn't bring a tampon and you're in school and you need to borrow one from a friend and it's very embarrassing. And like, it's just everything about it was like, don't talk about it. You don't actually have it. You need to act like you don't actually have it. And anything that's going on in your body needs to be ignored. But as I've opened myself to this realm that Joel finds so fascinating, I've, uh, I've realized there's so many things about bleeding every month that like, I would want my daughters, our daughters to know about themselves so they don't struggle as much as I did. And, and your partners and your sons. Absolutely. Right. Because they, Absolutely. they, we live alongside each other <laughs> and it's, it's really helpful when you know, <laughs> it's better when you understand and not just like, not just acceptance. It's like going from bleeding's a secret to, well, it's not a secret and I accept it, but I don't like it. It's yucky to the celebration of the transition that it is right. Cause we just look at it. Like, like you said, it's blood. We need a tampon, whatever, you know, it's a, it's a pain in the ass. We got to deal with every month, but what is actually happening in the body (laughs) is fucking remarkable. Like you're talking about your body prepared something that can grow a human life. And yes, it has to, it has to release that if you choose not to grow that life at that period of time. But that is like your body doing that. And you, shouldn't and no, no different than you don't you shouldn't talk about any of your dreams negatively people negatively the things that you you know want to do in your life negatively you shouldn't talk about your body and its processes negatively and i mean the, your you know menstruation is definitely one maybe even more so pregnancy and labor that gets bad rap uh, yeah. totally missing the point for the miracle <laughs> that it, it is so how have you transformed that celebration in your life now versus what you just described. You want to sidestep. Yeah. I mean, we're there. Yeah. Yeah, We're there. (laughs) Well, that's been a journey too. And that one came after birth. After I had learned different mysteries about my body in birth, then came the blood. And there are like, there's people talking about it and there's people doing things about it. So it's not And it's easier to find now than more than ever with social media. Like you can look up so many names who are creating podcasts about it and making art with it and understanding the science behind it a little differently and a little Mm -hmm. better and studying it. For me, it honestly started with my ability to back it up a little bit. Lots of people have eating disorders or had eating disorders, whether you're an athlete or a dancer or somebody who had an eating disorder. I was a person who struggled with it. And one of the very first actions that made me start to think differently about the processes that were happening in my body was thanking my body for taking whatever I was eating, pulling the nutrients out of it that I needed and getting rid of the stuff that I didn't need without me even thinking about it. And so when I was feeling 
stuck in the mental pattern that put me in my eating disorder, I would remind myself of that process because that is a miracle that -hmm. your body does that for you without you thinking about it. The exchange of oxygen when you breathe. And so as I moved into learning more about why I bled and why it shouldn't be an inconvenience for me, the more I started to realize that my rhythm and my body, and I don't just mean like when I bleed each month and when I'm not bleeding, like the actual rhythm of my hormones had an impact on on the work I did. Mm. So when I was present, when I wasn't present, when I was able to take on more tasks and do more things, and when I needed to rest, because resting is taboo, (laughs) you're not allowed to rest in this world. You have to be productive all the time. Are you talking to me? (laughs) 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 But our society is set up on a patriarchal clock. And I'm not trying to say that as like the patriarchy is bad, although there are things that aren't supportive that are done. I believe there are necessary times for it, but I am going to say that it does not suit the needs of every person who lives in this world. People need to rest and they're not allowed to. And women are on a, let's say 24 to 38 day cycle, because everybody's different, that enables them to be very productive with things like work and need rest. And the masculine body is on a 24 hour cycle, which is very different. Yeah. Which probably is very too. Like some people's are probably like 38 hours. Well, you're saying when you're saying 24 hour cycle, you mean the woman is on a month cycle mm-hmm. and the man is on a 24 hour cycle. Yeah. So, so what like is productivity? What is, what is he releasing in those 24 hours? Nothing. There's nothing. It's just that's his internal um, cycle. I've definitely done more of the work of the feminine in this than the masculine, yeah. but it's, it's the same sort of cycle, just the masculine version of oh, the feminine cycle. It's, so it's, it's not like about release. Product, well, it is about release uh. too, but it's about productivity. It's about rest. It's about like when their mental output is bigger or their emotional yeah. availability is right. more present. Like all of that happens within let's say 24 hours for a man, whereas a woman, it's stretched over a greater amount of time. But our how we live our lives is not conducive to that. Mm-hmm. The point, one of the points being, and there's this thing is a, a rabbit hole that we could go down and, and we'll go down at another time, but I'm going to try and MacGruber this back to <laughs> the point. And that is that when we understand how our bodies work and trust how our bodies work, and also understand and trust how our partner's bodies work and our children's bodies work and how the things that they're, they're natural cycles, but also the things that have happened, their traumas, uh, even if they didn't know. Quinn will never, w- once we tell her, she'll know, but there's no association between whatever pain she might have today as a result of her birth, right? But it is our job as parents to to draw that correlation and see where we can weave healing into her life for her until she's able to do it herself. And, uh, and so the point is, is, is understanding. And when we understand and we know better, we can do better. And as a couple, as parents, and that allows us to flourish um, and bringing that back to the birthing experience leading into our third and being conscious of, time here. How had the the things that we went through in the first two come into this, this third child we're about to have? 
and how you're approaching it. Yeah. I really like how you looped all of that that I was spinning on and like brought it back because that's important and I'm not very good at that. <laughs> Magrubered it back. You did it back. <laughs> Pass me the paper. <laughs> you're right though, because the more we know about our own internal process and not just the physical, the more we trust ourselves, the more we trust ourselves, the more we gain more insight into how we approach things and how we handle things and how we need to feel things out. Yeah. So for this one, I work with lots of people who have lots of children and everybody kind of says the same thing. They say every birth that they've had has been completely different from the first and the second and then some. And I think that makes sense that it would be that way because you are not the same person you are when you had your first versus when you had your second versus us now having our third. We are totally different people. We've been through a lot. I'm gray and have a, have a giant, <laughs> have a giant beard. <laughs> We've been through so much and I, like the kind of diving in that I did with the second in a different way. I, I haven't done with this one because I've known differently. I like, I already know, I already know birth process. I already know how to t- chime into my intuition. I already know I can do it. I already know different things to look for that make me feel unsafe when I need to ask for help versus when I don't. I already know how to expect you being my support person next to me. I already know a slew of things that I I didn't get to try or I want to try like water birth that I want to do this time around. But it's funny because I expected this one, the pregnancy, to just be a deeply spiritual experience given what I do know. And it's been a wild fucking ride (laughs) (laughs) because I mean, not only are we in a pandemic at the moment, but I wasn't expecting all of the emotions to hit me differently given that state of the world. And I mean, our entire life is different. We live on a farm, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not in a city. We I'm way more granola than I ever was before. So there's lots of things that I don't care about that I would have cared about at the second one or the first one. So what do I know to be true? I know I trust my body. I know I trust birth. I know I have a crack ass team of people to support us. Word. (laughs) (laughs) And those things are setting us up for a good experience. And I know that because we've done that before. Mm -hmm. And I know that if we needed help, we could get it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, you know, what I'm hearing from you that I hope the listeners are hearing is, is that if we engage with our birthing process as a, as a couple and as the person who is carrying the baby and has to birth the baby, it can be an experience that, that helps us grow and move and transition into the next part of our life. And we can take all the lessons and that can make us, you know, more powerful, more confident, more trusting, uh, in our body and in the process, the miracle of life as it is. Uh, and beyond that, like, because life will always change, each one will have a new experience that again, we engage with and, it, and it's all this sort of unraveling into, you know, the next version of ourselves, I guess, you know, hopefully better, not necessarily less damaged, but, you know, in terms of 
all the the pain and scars we take along the way, but but better at handling them because that experience helps us understand ourselves and our world and our partners better. Is that mm-hmm. a fair way of describing it? Yeah, I, it's it's a rite of passage. Yeah, that if you choose to take it on, parenthood, having a baby, it's beneficial for every party member to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it can have the most amazing transformational experience if you're in tune, if you're aware, you know how to ask the questions of yourself, you know how to trust your intuition. And I think that both men and women and all kinds of couples who face this together come out, like you said, growing together. Mm. If they go in growing together. So what, where's the, the first point of entry for someone, if they have just the slightest inkling to want to know a little bit more about all that the birthing process can be for them? I want to know that. And I also want to know before we go, what orgasmic birth is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a big reader, so I would always recommend books. And there's this, there's this book that changed my life with our second pregnancy. And it's called Ina May Gaskin's Guide to Childbirth. And it's very old, like it's 1970s, full bush <laughs> images. It's great. It's the National Geographic Channel or like the magazines that, <laughs> although those never showed bush, I think those were just uh, the long nipples, just the nips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes. And as much as I'm kind of pulling the mickey out of it, that book was written by a woman who trust, trusted birth. And it was a great gateway into a different version of birth for me, who has a medical background and who has a very logical brain. And I think as partners who maybe even disagree on how they think birth should play out, it's a good starting point because she has a lot of research in it and asks a lot of questions and answers a lot of things. And it can take you a lot of different directions as, mm-hmm. as the rabbit holes tend to. The other one is the book I'm reading right now, which is Childbirth is a Rite of Passage. And this one is definitely more, well, it's tons of research, tons and tons and tons of research in this book. It's written by a midwife as well. And they have a podcast actually. I think it's called The Cauldron, The Midwife's Cauldron. But the thing is, is like, what I might read might be different than what another person reads, or maybe they don't read. Maybe it's audiobook or podcast or clips or whatever, but you just need to start asking questions and you're not going to find all of the answers to your questions in one source mm-hmm. because we pick and part things from different things that make sense to us. And that's just because we're all individual humans, not because one is right and one is wrong. So yeah. Asking questions, finding lots of sources. I know it seems really vague, but it's, it's just going to be so individual from people. Honestly, listening to birth stories too, like hearing people actually talk positively about birth is really encouraging because when I was growing up, it was the only, only the negative things you heard. Right. Totally. You never heard anything else. And the no. funny thing about this is this is not, you know, those who think, well, this is just like new age mumbo jumbo is actually old age. Whether it's mumbo yeah. jumbo or not, well, you can make that decision for yourself. And obviously okay. we're not doctors, but it isn't anything other than going back to the simplest essence of what it is. 
mm-hmm. and seeing what's possible there for yourself. And that's, that's, what's really cool about it. And, you know, for me, I'm like the guy at the bar now <laughs> who really talks about birth and who talks about, uh, He's such yeah. a champion. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I champion it all day long. This, and um, what I have found, yeah, like some people look at me like I got a, yeah, I don't know, a third, a I can't think, uh, uh, yeah, like something <laughs> on my forehead, right? But more than that, there's, even if there's jokes and people taking the piss out of it a little bit, there's always this intrigue. You can see it. It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to accept that, but that did make me a bit curious, you know? Absolutely. Like we, I'm just reminding you, you talking about that reminded me of our friends in New York who very classy people throughout every weekend. They're, they like to party. They like, like you would never know looking at them that they had had home births just because you picture like some people in like grass skirts or like yeah. bonnets and like no makeup or that's super stereotypical, but like, it's just not what you picture. And so when you take that granola side of it out of it and you say, okay, maybe I could have a home birth too, if these people had, and if you ask them their story, they almost always want to share it. Like people love talking about their champion stories and these people in particular, they were told they had a baby that was too big and they had a C-section. And then their next birth, their baby was bigger and born at home. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, that happens so much. And totally. they just got, they got curious and then they just became part of the curious club, you know? And, and the champion club. And the champion club. <laughs> that was actually who I was referring to at the beginning of the podcast when I said that I had <laughs> one, one male who had talk to me about it beforehand. Uh, and that, that was them. Yeah. Which did may help me make the shift. Cause again, when you said that, I'm like, what are we going to have a seance in a field with right. know, a, a bonfire? And we might actually do that, but, <laughs> but that's and honestly talking to them too. Like it, yeah. like it, it changed my perspective. Cause I'm like, if like anybody could do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, so much more to go into here, but in the spirit of patriarchal time, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to say TBD and pick up different aspects of this. I failed in my mission to uh, send you into labor. That didn't happen. So I got a really big contraction though. So <laughs> I was like so. this trying to like, <laughs> <laughs> you can see how casual we are about this, right? You're just, <laughs> sitting there like maybe we're in labor the portal is open (laughs) (laughs) uh but for those who are listening if you have any if this spawned any questions for you please send them to us so that we can respond to them next time i you know this was our first go around the uh the podcast merry-go-round and I'm sure there's lots of stuff we didn't say. I know there's lots of stuff we wanted to get to. So please send send those questions and we can have another go at it if you'd like, because this is, it's really, it's really important. And it's really, I guess, magical is the word I'm going to use if you want it to be and transformational, which is the word you use, Jana. And so, you know, don't be, don't be shy. You know, we're here and we're happy to discuss anything. So until next time, much love, much curiosity. And 
be good. You you have like a sign off phrase like ramble on or something. No. Is that is okay. that my that will, <laughs> I, I once I get the four episodes, maybe I'll come up with a cool uh, exit. <laughs> As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. You know, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others and all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Yes, you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace.